17, 20-26 I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of the Lord. Hey guys. Um, yeah, as Lee said, um, if you if this is your first time here, we're doing there's two churches come together uh, for for the Advent for the lead up to Christmas. Um, and although our, I think our expressions of church, uh, the way that we gather together, looks quite different on a Sunday morning, um, I, I actually really love it. I love seeing. Um, Christians, like with different expressions, coming together uh, to celebrate Advent together. Um, I think it's a great testimony of the way that Jesus works in the world um, and of the way that he's working in our lives. Um, but yeah, if you don't know, my name's Clint and I'm part of the Church Trio um, mob. Uh, I'm sorry I wasn't here the last two weeks. The first week I was away having a little holiday with my family up north, which was really lovely. I had a nice break up there. Uh, and then this past week I was, I was overseas for work. Um, but I'm here now and I get to share with you this morning um, and yeah, thank you for the privilege, and I hope it'll be, ho- hope it'll be good for us, as it's been good for me, to reflect on, on joy. For those who know me, I'm I'm an incredible cynic, um, and a bit of a Christmas Grinch. So getting the topic of joy was, um, yeah, it was probably good for me, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, but I want to start this morning with sharing um, an alternative um, creation narrative, uh, uh, an alternative story of how the earth was made. Um, I didn't make it up. Um, some of you would be probably quite familiar with the, with the creation narrative in the Bible, um, but there's an alternative one uh, from around the same time uh, and the same sort of place. Um, but in fact, there's actually quite a few of them, um, so I've just taken one. Um, but, and there's some really interesting parallels sort of across all of the different uh, narratives. Um, almost all of them sort of start off with this sort of dark, brooding chaotic nothingness. Um, uh, Almost all of them have humanity being made from the dirt, from a mix of dirt and the divine. Uh, Almost all of them have a struggle or a fight between humanity and the divine. Uh, And a lot of them have a a flood narrative that follows that struggle. Um, And a lot of them have a barge with a family with a whole bunch of animals on it, which is really interesting. Um, Our local Wajak Noongar uh, Dreaming also 
um, starts with the dark, chaotic emptiness. It's a great story if you ever hear it. Um, Noel Nanak, uh, one of the, the local elders, tells it. Um, and, and, it and it has this fascinating um, search right at the beginning of the story, looking for who will be strong enough to care for everyone. Um, and then it sort of follows, it touches on all sorts of different places along the Swan River and along the Darling Ranges right down, sort of, uh, down south. Um, and it has a really strong spirituality of place, which I'm a little bit jealous of, I think. I suppose I wonder if we would care for, for the earth better if we had a, had a stronger theology of place. That's a complete side. But this morning we're going to start with what's called the, um, the Atrahasis Atra epic. I don't know, Steve's not nodding. Atrahasis, there we go. Uh, but its opening words go like this. It's actually one poem. It's a really long poem. Um, when the gods, human-like, bore the labour, carried the load, the gods' load was great. The toil was grievous, the trouble excessive. The great Anunnaku, the seven, were making the Ig Igu undertake the toil. It sounds a little bit like a Dr. Zeus story, doesn't it? Like the Anunnaku and the Igu Igu. Um, but you have these seven Anunnaku, which are the seven uh, sort of senior gods, um, forcing the Igigu, the, the lesser junior gods, to do all the work. And it was hard work, it was physical work. Um, meni- it was sort of menial work that left them feeling degraded and worn out. Uh, the toil was grievous, the trouble excessive. And so the story goes that one night the, the Igigu had a meeting and they decided to revolt. Um, they formed a union and did a blockade. And they decided to depose their taskmaster called um, Enlil. And so they burnt their tools in protest and they they went in the middle of the night to demand that they be relieved of their work. Uh, And he was sleeping at the time, but his advisor woke him up and said, look, this thing's happening, what are you going to do? You've got to do something about it. I suggest that you consult with them and find a way forward. Uh, So Enlil sent a word to the Anunnaku, the the seven senior gods, and demanded that they have a council and decide what they were going to do about this this sort of um, revolt by the, by the, by the, um, the junior gods. And so the Anunnaku deliberated and they decided to make a slave of sorts. Uh, and that's where humanity came. Uh, humanity was designed to do the labouring, carry the load, relieve uh, the igu of, the, of that grievous toil and the excessive trouble that those gods were doing with their work. And while this, this reason for, for creating humanity is unique to, to that particular creation narrative, very similar reasons are given in in the alternative narratives. Either the gods are tired of collecting their own food, uh, so they create humanity to gather the food for them. Uh, or the gods are tired of looking after the earth, so they create humanity to look after the earth. In another one, the creation of humanity was a mistake, uh, and, and, and it was a mistake that was deeply regretted. Uh, in another, humanity was created by one god to kind of spite the other god and to cause him trouble. Um, and so the, the creation of humanity in these stories is typically sort of pragma- pragmatic. It's a solution to the problem of the gods. Uh, it's a tool for easing the burden of the divine. Now think about that in light of the biblical creation narrative that many of you are probably familiar with. Uh, because through that narrative, there's a line that, keeps coming, that the story keeps coming back to. It echoes throughout the narrative. It's the line that we keep get, getting drawn back to so that it gets hammered deep into our skulls. Uh, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. The creation of the earth and everything in it wasn't to solve some divine problem. It wasn't um, to come up with a solution so that God could have an easier life. Um, But it was almost as though God was just 
having fun. Um, he was having a blast making beautiful things that, 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 that gave him joy. Um, and humanity, God blessed them. Um, he made them the crown of his creation. He gave them the earth for, for their sustenance, for their, um, to, yeah, for their sustenance and for their joy, for their enjoyment. And, and all through that, God's just delighting at what he makes after every day. He stops and pauses and goes, wow, isn't that a thing of beauty? There was no lack, there was no deficiency in God before creation. Quite the opposite, there was an overflow, if anything, an excess of love and joy. Um, because before that point, um, there was Father, Son and Spirit in this, in this dance that Lee talked about, I think, last week. Uh, this dance, this intimate dance of love and joy. Uh, and it was almost out of the overflow of that, uh, that God decided to create this incredible earth and its beautiful people. Now, that's a profoundly different narrative uh, to the Atrahasis epic. Um, our story, my story, your story, it starts with delight. With God creating the likes of you and me and saying, at every conception, at every birth, wow, look at this beautiful child that I've created. Um, C.S. Lewis, I think, in Mere Christianity, he talks about how we've lost the ability to delight in things. And he says the reason why God, maybe the reason why God creates fields of flowers is because he creates one. He goes, look at that. That's amazing. Should we do another one? Yeah, yeah, let's do another one. Another flower, another one. Until there's a whole field of flowers. Uh, with every field of flowers, with every new blade of grass, with every new season, new sunrise, new seed, God, God's heart skips a beat almost. And Jesus goes to the Father, did you see that? Isn't that something? Let's make some more. Let's do it again. Sometimes I think the church, is, the, church the, the Christian community, forgets that. I know I do. We forget that the story of life starts in Genesis 1. Um, well, really before Genesis 1, when the Father and Son and Spirit were enjoying that beautiful dance that Lee spoke about. The dance of God that's full of joy, of laughter and sheer delight uh, in one another. That's where the story starts. That, 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 that's where humanity and the earth come into the picture. That's our starting place. Too often, I think, we start in a few chapters in, in Genesis chapter 3, that many of you would be familiar with, with the fall, where everything starts to go pear-shaped. And it does go terribly wrong, and it does need fixing. I, I'm not glossing over that or trying to deny that. But when we make Genesis 3 our starting place, when we make the fall our starting place, all that we can ever seem to see is what's wrong with the world. And I'm a terrible cynic, as I said, so... I have a tendency towards that. But when we make Genesis 3 our starting place, we become blind or we run the risk of becoming blind to beauty. Um, we forget how to dance and we can't celebrate anything anymore. We start operating on fear instead of love. Uh, we're angry rather than joyful. Uh, we're pessimistic about the world rather than hopeful for it. And I, I, Sometimes I wonder if that's because we're, we're scared of... Um, we're scared that if we delight in something that's broken, that we condone its brokenness. But God, 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 does, God does both at the same time. I think we need to change that um, because I think often the, the narrative that we bring to our world, to our culture, um, is that we, need to con we, we believe that we need to first condone
fascinating and beautiful, intriguing, wonderful, amazing. No matter what terrible things you or I have done or what terrible places we've been or who we've hurt or how we've hurt them, God thinks we're stunning. And that's not because we've done great things. It's not because we've impressed him. God thinks we're great because he makes great things. He delights in you because he can only make delightful things. He thinks you're stunningly beautiful because he can only make stunningly beautiful things. It's got nothing to do with whether you impress him or not through, through your actions. Your story and my story, I think, needs to start there. No matter how hard it is to believe that God delights in us, and I, and I, and I very much struggle to believe that. Genesis 3 and the sin and the brokenness, uh, the disrepair and the dysfunction that came into the world at that point uh, is really just, in the perspective of eternity, is really just a blip on the radar. It's a, it's a dip in the graph of eternity. And it needs to be dealt with, I'm not saying it doesn't, but we need to put it into perspective of, of the start of the story and the finish of the story. Because the beginning of the story starts in Genesis 1 uh, and the end of the story in Revelations is essentially the same. You have God um, living in beautiful, joyful community with humanity. Um, that's the good news, I think, that people need to hear. The good news starts and ends with good news. Uh, the overflowing love and joy of the triune God. And, and I think the conclusive proof, uh, if you need any, of that delight is, of course, that little baby in the manger in Bethlehem. Um, you know, I, I can get my head around the idea that God had to become human, become one of us, so that um, he could, as a human, sort out humanity's mess. I, can, I, I get that conceptually. I've got no idea how that physically works. Um, but I can understand that con conceptually. But surely Jesus could have pulled some kind of God trick to, to turn back into God at the end of it when he was done, right? Like if, if he has the ability to go from God to God-man, then surely once the job's done, he could just pack up and go back to being God, right? But he chose not to. And that's an incredible affirmation of his, of his love and delight in humanity. Um, Jesus remains forever altered. He remains forever a God-man and he chose to, uh, and, he, and he is that right now as we sit here this morning. The triune God, Father, Son and Spirit, continues that dance of intimacy. Um, and humanity is already a part of that dance in Jesus, in the, in the very person of Jesus. Jesus is the proof that humanity can participate in that joyful life of God. And he's also proof that God wants humanity to participate in that intimate dance of love. God's desire is Jesus' prayer that we read out this morning um, from John 17. This is from the message though. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, they might be one heart and mind with us. Unified and together as we are, I in them and you in me. Giving the godless world evidence that you've sent me and love them in the same way that you've loved me. This is God's desire for a broken humanity, for the likes of you and me and everyone else. God's desire is that we might have the same love and delight between us that Father, Son and Spirit have between them and that by doing so we would join in their dance while also testifying of their dance and their invitation to join that dance to the rest of the world. But we live in Advent times, don't we? 
We live in the time of the here, not yet, that period where Jesus came and he kicked the whole thing off, um, but, the time, but not yet the time when everything's restored. It's a horribly tensioned time that, that bugs me a lot, probably bugs you a lot. Um, because I don't know about you, but I almost find Jesus' prayer utopian and impossible to believe. Sounds great, but it's probably not going to happen. And I find it very difficult to believe deep down in my bones that God actually, really, truly delights in me. Not tolerates me, not puts up with me, but actually delights in me, finds joy in me. Because I don't delight in myself, and maybe you don't either. We all know our ugly bits and we hide them well. Um, with the things that we've done or the things that we're ashamed of, the things we wish that we could change but we just can't seem to be able to change, there's things that we deeply regret uh, and so many of us can struggle to believe that we can truly be delightful people. And I also struggle to delight in other people. Uh, I find some people terribly annoying. Uh, I find some people really boring and really difficult. Uh, and, I, and the idea of delighting in them seems light years away at that point. Most of the time, actually, I only really delight in people who are like me, who think like I do and say the same things that I do and affirm the things that I affirm. And so I think I tend to project, and we tend to project, our way of delighting in people onto God and think that that's the way that he must operate as well. But he's not fickle like I am. His love is steadfast and enduring. His delight isn't grounded in the temporary actions or thoughts of people, um, but it's grounded in the fact that he created this thing, he created this person, and that can't be undone. But I also hope that despite the very difficult nature of finding joy in difficult people, in delighting in, in situations that rub us the wrong way, that you can also recall and, and have tasted and, and seen glimpses of joy along God's way. Um, I think a lot of folks get a sense of that delight um, in various places in creation when they stop and enjoy the beauty of creation. Um, and I think we get a sense of God's delight when we truly enjoy another person um, and can celebrate their uniqueness. Um, I, think, I think we get a sense of God's delight when we have those deep belly laughs that we can't, we can't control, right? Um, or, or when we enjoy a meal. Uh, we've got to cling to those moments, I think, and remind ourselves of them because that, they are a foretaste of what it's going to be like. Um, we only get hints and glimmers of it now, but that's what it's going to be like all the time. I think I'm, yeah, I wonder if you could get sick of being joyful. I hope not. But that is God's ultimate plan, is to bring us into that dance um, fully. We get a little taste of it now, but his plan is to bring it into that for all eternity. And so I want to encourage us this morning to persist in being people of delight. Um, I noticed that, that Lee quoted uh, Boff and, um, and Costas, and I thought if he, can, if he can quote some liberation theologians, some Catholic liberation theologians, I can quote a Quaker. Um, <laughs> but Richard Foster has a great, a great book um, called Celebration of Discipline. Actually, I was in the Bali airport like a week ago, and there was all these like self-help books and there was Roch uh, Foster's Celebration of Discipline there, which is strange for sale. But in that book, great book, I really encourage you to read it, he has a chapter, so Celebration of Discipline, he has a chapter called The Discipline of Celebration. Um, and if you're anything like me, a little bit of uh, discipline, a little bit of focused effort, a bit of habit building in the era of celebration might be helpful. 
because it is good to enjoy a sumptuous meal. Um, I remember going to Stephen B's a few years ago for dinner and they put on this incredible spread um, and it seemed extravagant and it was extravagant but it was, it was beautiful. Like, um, it's good to enjoy that. It's good and important work to laugh till your belly aches. Um, it's vital that we develop habits of, of celebrating the uniqueness of each other. It's important that we have fun and loads of it. Um, Lee tends to do this for us at Church Frio. We like with the Passover, we're doing this Passover and we're all like sombre and she makes sure that we have a good giggle while we're at it. Um, it's important that we learn to laugh and have fun. Um, our story starts in Genesis 1. It continues past Revelations 22. It finds its evidence in Matthew 1, 23, Emmanuel, God with us, and in John 17, in Jesus' prayer. Emmanuel, God with us, delighting in us as we in turn delight in him. And so go, dance your feet off this week, enjoy what's set before you, delight as much as you can in the people you meet with a measure of the delight that God has in you. Um, Because he knows you are stunningly beautiful like nobody else. Can I pray for us? (laughs) Um, Dear God, um, yeah, thank you for um, forcing me to reflect on, as a cynic, forcing me to reflect on joy for the last couple of weeks. Um, And thank you that you are a joyful God, Lord. Uh, And I'm sorry for the times when I've um, not displayed or reflected um, the vitality of life that you have, um, the joy that you have, the delight that you have. Um, I pray that you'd continue to open our eyes to the beauty around us, um, in each other, in your creation, in ourselves, um, that we would bear testimony to, to what's to come, Lord. Um, And we pray that you would bring that day forward. It's hard in these Advent times. Um, It's hard to to remain hopeful, to remain joyful. Uh, We trust that you are coming and we ask that you would do that as quickly as you can. Uh, We love you and we love each other. In Jesus' name, amen.